0: everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner and you're listening to Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting and Politics, the podcast where there is just so much to talk about. It's almost the middle of July and the sun still hasn't come out to stay for the summer here in Portland. Ah, come back sun, we need you. Um, apparently it's crow nesting season up here in the Pacific Northwest, which is a fact I was not aware of until a couple weeks ago. I was out walking my super cute little chug, that's a chihuahua pug mix, and for the first time in my life since I've lived here in Portland, I got dive bombed by a crow just walking along in my regular neighborhood route, and it came up behind me, didn't see it coming, and it flew right over my head the first time and totally got my attention, I turned, and then it turned around and it came at me head on. And by this time I got the message and I turned the corner to dart for home, but that crow was not impressed and it flew back at me again. And this time it snatched at my hair. Okay. That freaked me out. I love birds. I'm fascinated by them, but I don't want them to touch me. Anyway, first I thought, what have I done to piss off a crow? You know, there's that, um, documentary that a lot of us have seen about how smart crows are and they imprint on people, but I am about the nicest bird lady in the neighborhood. But then, you know, common sense took over and I went online and I found out that we're in the height of fledging season. And, um, That's what mama birds do when their youngins are about to take flight for the first time. They make a big fuss and they pick on people who they think are in their kids' way. You know what? Respect, mamas. I get that. Okay. I'll watch out for your little ones too. Okay. What else is going on? Well, for any of you who don't know me yet, welcome to the conversation. We're happy to have you. I am the author of Common Sense Pregnancy, the book, where you get my take on pregnancy and prenatal care and labor and birth and then some based on my 20-year career as a labor and delivery nurse. And that's where we started this podcast. And over the past few years, we've been talking about all kinds of topics related to pregnancy and prenatal care and feminism and how politics impacts our healthcare and our lifestyles and our ability to raise our kids. We talk about how to do our best with what we've got and how to share all that with other parents who need our support. It's a hard job, raising this generation of little ones in the 21st century, and uh, nobody's quite met our challenges before. Nobody's had as many resources as we have, and you know what? It gives us a lot to talk about. Um, We also talk a lot about what's happening in the news because nobody lives in a silo, right? The stuff that happens out there kind of impacts us here at home too. For instance... I hear a couple of stories that are right up our alley. I am super proud of my state, Oregon, for passing the most progressive paid family medical leave policy in the nation. Go Oregon. Proud of you. Under House Bill 2005, workers will receive up to 12 weeks of paid time off Um, that they can use for maternity or paternity leave, but they can also use to recuperate if they've had their own serious illness or surgery or if they need to care for a new adopted or foster child or deal with domestic violence. Um, They've got a plan where the cost is split 60-40 between workers and employers, um, and they begin paying into the fund in a couple of years, 2022, I believe it is. A lot of businesses are still exempt. Uh, businesses with fewer than 25 employees don't have to contribute. And this is a huge first step, a huge first step. I'm still worried about, you know, all those women who work for small businesses who might not be protected, but I'm really happy for the progress. Really proud of my con- my uh, state and this bill. It's a big step. I'm going to see if I can get somebody from you know, the Oregon Congress to come on and maybe talk to us a little bit about it. I also, I like to look at Science Daily, which is, you know, medical and science news. And I saw something kind of interesting. There's some uh, United Kingdom researchers who were doing a study and they discovered that educated and married American moms are um, more likely to try to time their pregnancy so that they have their first baby in the spring. Um, and in fact, if it's possible, if it was possible to pay to guarantee a spring birth, on average, a married American woman aged between 20 and 45 would be willing to part with $877 to achieve it. <laughs> I find that astounding that they could nail down a dollar amount. Um The quote is, our work has discovered that there really is a desire to give birth in the spring in the U.S., said Professor Sonia Orifis, I bet I've said her name wrong, my apologies, who is professor of economics. Um, Her quote says, this is often to do with the health of mom and baby because spring and summer are the furthest away from the peak of influenza cases and other germs. Really? people think of that. They think, hmm, let's have our first baby well past flu season. So let's see, if we plan to have our baby in April or May, then we'd better have a lot of sex in the summer. I mean, there are lots of good reasons to have sex in the summer and plan to have your babies at a certain time of year. I get that. I get this whole thing about planned pregnancies. It's brilliant. Just really around flu season? Huh, that's a new one for me. Um, But to carry it further, The researchers said, we also found that women in certain occupations, teachers, library workers, and those in the training sector, were more likely to aim for a spring baby. And they believe this is because women are trying to link their summer vacation to their short US maternity leave in order to spend more time with their baby. Now that makes sense to me. If you're a teacher and, you know, or somebody who generally gets summers off, um, or maybe summer is your slow season, and let's say you save up or you have access to a, to 10 or 12 weeks of paid maternity leave. And then you have that baby in the spring and then there's no school in the summer. Well, heck, that's six months you can stay home with your baby. That's practically reasonable, right? Anyways, I thought that was pretty, pretty interesting stuff in the news. So that's probably enough of current events. What else is going on? Well, I think we should just get on to this week's guest, but first let's take a real quick break. Okay, we are back and ready to get this week's guest on the line. Kelly Pearson is a registered dietitian and certified diabetes educator. She's a mom, a wife, an entrepreneur, and owner of Aim to Thrive Nutrition. She's passionate about the way nutrition impacts healing and about how to deal with a gestational diabetes diagnosis. Let's get her on the line. Hi, Callie. It's Jeannie. How are you? Good. How are you doing today, Jeannie? I'm doing pretty good. Great. Pretty good. So I'm here in Portland, Oregon, and all year long I've been whining about our horrible weather and about how Mm. on July 5th the sun breaks open and, you know, all is right with our world. But here it is. We're way past the 5th of July and it's a gloomy day here. I'm whining about it. Where are Uh, you?
1: Yeah. So I am in um, Denver, Colorado, actually in a little suburb right outside of Denver called Arvada. And we um, have just gotten this gorgeous sunshine as well. Finally, we've had a lot of rain this year and it's been super exciting just to have some of our hot um, days, to be honest with you. I've been looking forward to these
0: 80 and 90 days. So it's been great. Great. We got a little pinch of that a while ago, but I've been looking forward to my long stretch of it in July and where the heck is it? That's what I want to know. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Well, Kelly, I had a chance to read a little bit of your bio before we got you on the line here, but the first hard question is always this, who are you and what do you do?
1: Yeah. So, um, thanks so much for having me on today. And, um, like Jeannie said, my name is Callie and first and foremost, um, I like to introduce myself as a wife and a mom of two and a simple real foodie and lover of healthy and happy pregnancies. So, um, my, most recent, um, change in work has been, um, becoming an entrepreneur and opening my own business aimed to thrive nutrition, which specializes in pregnancy and gestational diabetes.
0: (coughs) Excuse me. I'm coughing. I'm coughing and I'm so impressed with your bio. No, actually just (laughs) (laughs) I took a sip of my cup of coffee and it was way too hot. Um, So you're a registered dietitian and a nutritionist. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about your career path and how you found your connection to the birth world.
1: Yeah, so great question. So I spent four years at Colorado State University um, in a dietetics program, and then we are required to complete a year internship and state board exams. Most of my college career, I spent really diving in um, teaching child nutrition and realized that so many of these children, they had never been taught a thing about real foods. So um, I really knew that. You know, my first calling was to be a mom and I grew up in a real health conscious family where my mom spent most of her life making sure that my brother and I always had healthful snacks and meals. And my friends would always joke around and say, wow, how does your mom make this healthy stuff taste so good? So I would definitely say I have my real food cooking technique techniques handed down from my parents. Um, I then proceeded to fall in love with pregnancy about eight years ago after my first was born. And to be honest with you, I just had a great pregnancy. Um, I was really dialed in with focusing on real food. So, um, lots of vegetables and lean meats and healthy fats. Um, and I also consistently kept up with um, physical movement. I mean, I've grown up um, and I'm still here in Colorado. So, there's lots of physical things to do. And it really just um, was amazing that I could admit that I was still. Um, running, jogging at 38 weeks of being pregnant. Mm -hmm. And then um, after my first pregnancy, when my first child was about one – I had to go undergo a big huge surgery um with my lung and I had a lung removed. Whoa, and that's yeah, a big deal. Yeah. So at that point, um, you know, there was a lot of unknowns and you know, keeping my focus on first and foremost, the one above, but also, you know, kind of not wearing really knowing where I was going and um, lots of medications and my husband and I knew we wanted to have another one. And the doc at that point said, you know, I'm not sure you probably just need to kind of pause and let everything spend some good time healing. And, um, you know, again, I kept all those really pertinent healthy lifestyles um, in play. And, um, I had an astronomical short hospital stay and then delivered another healthy baby about a year
0: later. Wow. That's a remarkable story right there. That's really remarkable. A lot to unpack. Yes. So keep going, keep going. Yeah, yeah. So, um,
1: you know, that was my first real grounding of being like, oh, wow, you know, there's so much that we can do um, with just those healthy foods and healthy lifestyle um, that I began to really unpack that. And for about the last six years before I became an entrepreneur and really wanted to dive in on my own with gestational diabetes, I had worked with many OBGYN clinics and one of the top endocrine chronologist here in Denver who specialized in gestational diabetes and just really fell in love with the gestational world. So how old are your kids now? So I have a almost six-year-old in the next couple of weeks and I have an eight-year-old. And boys, girls, did you say girls? Two girls. Two girls. Two girls. You're raising sisters. Yes, which yeah. has been joyous, but also so different. It's amazing how
0: you can have two of the same sex and they are completely polar opposite. <laughs> oh, God, yes. I know. I know. I have have a, several kids myself and, and yeah. each one is just as different as can be. And yet you kind of see imprints. You see, oh, yeah, that's what that's what our kids do. They've got that right. thing. Yeah. It's right. interesting. Yeah, right. yeah. So there's a lot of questions I have there. Um, mm-hmm. of course we want to talk a lot about gestational diabetes because I think that that is something that's really relevant and women are looking for ways to approach it, you know, with it, with a mind on, um, you know, being healthy rather than mm-hmm. being ill. Um, but i do have to know a little bit more about what happened to you <clears throat> what what happened to your lung and what was yeah. it like to go through a pre- another pregnancy with that big of a complication yeah sure so um you know, long story short, um, I've always been a runner,
1: and um, I caught pneumonia um, as a sophomore mm-hmm. in college, and from then on, they had kept telling me, I all of the physicians I went to, all the PAs, all the nurses kept saying, you know, you just have exercise-induced asthma, and I thought, oh, man, this is crazy. I don't have any asthma in my family, never had you know, too bad of allergies. Colorado is full of flowering things, but... But, um, so it's kind of like, this is, you know, real interesting. And, um, it wasn't until my daughter was one that I became very ill again with pneumonia. And I said, you know, I gotta, we gotta dig deeper. And I went in to see a pulmonologist and they said, you know, hey, you're just too young and too healthy and um, we need to get in and do a bronchioscope. So sure enough, went in. I had a um, large tumor on my lung. Mm. And, um, again, I, I, you know, I look back at it and it's to me more something, um, of a miracle, you know, because of course, not knowing if the tumor is benign or if it's cancerous and thank the good Lord, it was benign. And, um, they told me I would be in ICU for about a month. Um, again, because most of the time the actually the surgeon, the pulmonologist and the surgeon that worked on me—they said that they had done um, one other surgery like mine before on someone my age. Mm-hmm. They mainly saw something like this with the lung, you know, at age anywhere from, you know, fifty to seventy was more mm-hmm. characteristic. So. Mm-hmm. They went in, they removed the lung. Um, I got to come home. I was in ICU about a week and then up on the floor for about two days and was joyous to be at home and um, did a lot of healing from home. Um, I will be honest with you, just really honed in on mm-hmm. really good nutrition, making sure that I was definitely getting um, enough protein that really helps the healing process and just tried to get back on my feet with slowly walking. And within probably about two months, I was slowly jogging again. With one lung? With one lung. Yes. So what does that feel like? So, you know, um, it's a miraculous thing. Um, The lung is one part, one organ of our body that you can actually just survive with one. So really the capacity from the other lung, basically, and um, the one lung that's still in, um, it has been able to take on all of the capacity of my breathing. So my breathing is actually a lot better than when they kept telling me had exercise induced asthma. I was a very, uh, a, a lot heavier of a breather. There was a lot of wheezing going on mm. and now it's very clear. So I really, I really, to be honest with you, just um, can't complain and I can't say enough about you know I kind of beat it over the head but I can't say enough about the good nutrition I really can't
0: and our body's capacity to thrive in you know e- even in the face of some major challenges the body just says oh okay we can do this definitely yeah, i got definitely. you i'll take definitely. over don't worry don't worry yeah. honey Yeah. Don't worry, honey. We've got you. One lung? Okay. (laughs) So then you went on to have another baby and I bet that they just had you under the looking glass. Were they They just watching you?
1: Everything. Did
0: did you like that? Was that a
1: good experience? Um, You know, to be honest with you, I just felt so blessed that I was um, going to be able to have another healthy pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And um, I, they did keep me on a pretty tight looking glass just to make sure that everything was okay and lung capacity was all right. But um, again, I just, I feel so blessed to even be able to say that I was able to have another healthy child that
0: I really, yeah. again, I just can't complain. Yeah. Well, okay. So I know we kind of got off on a tangent yeah, there, but that was yeah. that was really interesting to me because that's not something that happens to a lot of people.
1: Sure. And, you know, for asking.
0: you know, isn't it also kind of, I don't know if this is the case for you or not, but isn't it kind of great that you got diagnosed after you had your baby? Because yeah. if you had had that diagnosis before you had your first baby, it might've changed that you know, right, it might've right. might made things really different. And yeah, totally yeah, right. yeah. I had a similar experience with receiving a false diagnosis, having a baby and then receiving a real diagnosis. And yeah. um, if I had received the real diagnosis before, there is no way that baby would have been born. Yeah. So you know what? I <laughs> like little miracles. I like looking at the silver lining of of medical situations where- the outcome is actually better than it could have been. You right. know what I mean? Definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well let's get back to what we what yeah. we call to talk about, which is <laughs> um your connection to the birth world. You're pretty your your whole thing right now is about gestational diabetes. And mm-hmm. and I get it now why health and nutrition is such a really, really important part of your <clears throat> Career and practice um but let's let's back up for listeners who aren't quite familiar yet with what gestational diabetes is and let's give them the most basic shortest definition. can you do that yeah definitely definitely so
1: Um, You know, it is kind of funny. I will try to shorten this up, but um, we often can describe gestational diabetes in two different ways. Um, The first one, more or less, um, I think most of us look at it that basically gestational diabetes is more a phenomenon of pregnancy. So as your body's going through all those metabolic changes, um, one of which being the hormones that -hmm. are secreted from the placenta that can interfere with your body's action of insulin. So basically we call this insulin resistance. Mm -hmm. Um, The second is more related to women who may have had elevated blood sugars before even becoming pregnant. So this, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of, um, especially with pregnancies that a lot of women, um, you know, haven't been to the doctor for three or four years and all of a sudden they become pregnant and um, they may have had pre-diabetes or type two diabetes. That's gone undiagnosed. Mm-hmm. And then this can further tell us that, you know, this is why gestational diabetes is, you know, the most common complication of pregnancy. It affects about 18% of pregnancies and about 40 to 50% of gestational diabetes can be
0: attributed to overweight and obesity. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing a rise in Mm -hmm. gestational diabetes and we've been seeing it for several decades now. And Mm -hmm. I think that most um, medical experts and health experts kind of link it back to the introduction of high sugars and a high processed diet that really we started seeing in the 70s. Correct. And so do you know the numbers right now? Like how many women are affected? Is it like 15%? Yeah. So like I said, it was it's 18% of women. It's 18%. 18, okay. Yep. Yep. That's a big number. That's a big number. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens if women ignore it or don't know about it? What do you, what do you, what happens to moms? Let's focus on what happens to mothers, women first, and then we'll talk about what happens to babies. Yeah, definitely.
1: So, you know, when women, um, you know, don't start looking at those blood sugars or ignore the idea because it can be very, very scary. It can be a scary diagnosis. Like let's just admit it. It can be very scary and there's a lot of emotions that come with it. And, but, you know, with mom, the, you know, the couple and scariest things is that um, you can have higher risk for preeclampsia. So that means those high blood pressures and, and also, So increased risk for C-section. And then women that, you know, decide either maybe that they know that they have the diagnosis or to kind of ignore the diagnosis, they have within five years um, after postpartum of, you know, having gestational diabetes, a 70% higher risk of developing type 2 diabetes within
0: that five-year frame.
1: So really, really increases their risk of that type 2 diabetes diagnosis
0: and that's information that a lot of women don't absorb is mm-hmm. they get it because what they mostly hear about is the impact on the baby right but they don't absorb the fact that no honey it's you too you mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. you too and right. and um i i like to lead with that because this is a body that mom needs to work with for the whole rest of her life and God. There's so much co- going into pregnancy that you know she's bringing her her food history, she's bringing her health history, um, and for a lot of women, a huge number of women, you know, pregnancy is kind of the first time that they're that they're dealing with the healthcare system and that their body has really faced any significant challenges. You know, yeah, they've been fine, exactly right? Yeah, maybe mm-hmm. maybe they're you know maybe they're going through life and they know that they're carrying some extra weight, but they're fine. They're doing fine. Um, And then they become pregnant and then they get into the healthcare system and then it's a shock. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. Yeah. So there's a lot that I want to talk about here. Um, And one thing that you mentioned is gestational diabetes um, impact on you know, expanding C-section rates. And I want to talk about that, but we're going to take just a real, real quick break here for a sponsor, and we'll be right back. And we're back. So we were just um, talking about the fact that gestational diabetes has an impact on our rising C-section rate. And, um, and, and that leads us to talking to about what happens to the baby if gestational diabetes goes untreated so let's shift gears and focus on baby for just a minute
1: yeah sure yeah. definitely yeah. definitely so um you know going back to the blood sugars and kind of what's happening and you know with um the, Um, the blood sugars. So the level in your bloodstream is really important, especially Mm -hmm. while you're pregnant, because Mm -hmm. those elevated blood sugars can lead to larger babies, also called macrosomia. So that's where we're seeing the C-sections.
0: The nine-pounders, the 10-pounders, the ones that make that make the newspapers at 14 pounds.
1: Right, right. Yeah. And I, you know, pregnancy is hard enough on a, a woman's body um, alone. So, to, mm-hmm. you know, to imagine to deliver something, um, you know, um, your sweet baby child that large, mm-hmm. you know, we're really looking at more and more research and how much this is not even affect, you know, not just affecting how large the baby comes out, but that it's Affecting um, their metabolism, the child's metabolism really has permanent changes with Mm
0: this. Yeah. So. Yeah. So if mom's blood sugar is just you know an open spigot of sugar going through the placenta to baby's bloodstream, then that's more sugar than the baby needs to grow. So baby grows bigger and develops more fat cells. And then a number, like you mentioned, a number of metabolic and physical conditions occur from that. And, um, you know, not not the least of which is it can't necessarily get through the birth canal. So that baby needs to be born by C-section. And then the domino effect of what happens with the first C-section, then you get the, you know, it's just, it goes and goes and goes and goes. So... How can women turn it around with with nutrition and exercise?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, you know, when we um, or when I first started working with gestational diabetes, I followed most of the standard nutrition guidelines because that's all I had. Mm -hmm. And most of those suggested at the time upwards of 175 grams of carbs per day. Well, if you're looking at that, that's all lot of grams of carbs per day. And, um, every time that I would work with a mom with gestational diabetes, I would have them call, come back or call me crying and say, Callie, I'm so upset. This is just not working. My blood sugar is Sugars are not going down, and um, with that said, there was absolutely no solid research to support that 175 grams of carbs per day. So, and um, you know, I started looking into really extensive research and looking outside the box. And data on our ancestral diet shows that many cultures followed a low-carb diet before introduction of this modern out. Um, Agriculture and Jeannie, you had mentioned that kind of previously. So, though we can't guarantee one dire pattern will work for all, I really look at working with each pregnancy based on individual goals pre-pregnancy weight, blood sugar, use of medication, and weight gain goals. Mm-hmm. So within my program, I really offer a personalized 16-week gestational diabetes program that provides you know, the reinforcement um, through personalized coaching calls and virtual appointments and a variety of content that I offer through webinars and informational sessions. And then I also have created community groups for each one of these gestational diabetes. So I, you know, kind of pair everybody up and put everybody in a group so that all of their questions um, can get answered. And then um, everyone feels like they have the reinforcement that they need. Because really ultimately, um, as a pregnant mom, you're just looking for a healthy, happy um pregnancy.
0: Yeah, and it's smart. You do a sixteen-week program that kind of corresponds with women when women get their um, gestational, you know, their their gestational diabetes blood tests. Yeah, so correct. So they they find out somewhere around twenty weeks when they take mm-hmm. the test that oh, your blood sugars are high, and then they go to their midwife or their doctor and they tell them you know you need to follow this diet, you need to do these exercises, blah blah blah, and then they come to you. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 And so let's go ahead and give your website a plug right now. And then we'll get back to the conversation. Yeah. So for listeners who are listening to this right now saying, "Uh Oh, I need you. Where do they find you? Yeah. So I am at aim to thrive nutrition.com.
1: And if you go there and submit, um, you know, your name and email on the contact form, you'll receive a free top five tips to nourish your body while pregnant. I really like to start there. And yeah, so I would love to, you know, walk hand in hand with you. I love gestational diabetes. Um, It's very fascinating and interesting. And I just like to um,
0: be a shoulder to lean on. So, um, I got a few more questions yeah. that I want to ask you. Definitely. Oh, really? One thing, we haven't talked a whole whole lot yet about the exercise factor. Mm-hmm. And um I like to you know encourage pregnant women to start exercising the minute that they find out, even if they've never been active before, get active now because mm-hmm. and even during the very first weeks when you feel exhausted and gross, And all you want to do is wrap your comforter around you and get in your bed. Mm -hmm. This is a good time to, to start walking, start moving, start swimming, start gentle movement throughout your day, because it helps lay down this delicious web of blood vessels in your placenta. And it gets your body kicked into gear for, okay, this is how we're going to do pregnancy. This yeah. is how we're going to metabolize calories, utilize nutrition, circulate our blood. This is how we're going to get the, you know, best oxygenation for ourselves, our placenta, our body as women and our babies. So, how much exercise do you tell women that they really need to do? So
1: uh, Jeannie, that's a great question. So, you know, again, I like to go back to that really personalized and individualization because you're right. I mean, we come from all scopes. Um, I may have a woman that has never done anything before prior to be even becoming pregnant. So, you know, at, um, especially when she's filling um, in that first trimester, like, oh my gosh, I'm just so tired. Yeah. So, you know, when we're looking at physical movement, I remind women that it doesn't necessarily have to be, okay, I have to do 45 minutes or six, minutes right at the same time every single day. I mean, yes, that is a great way um, to look at it or get geared towards, but we all know as busy moms, that may not be how it works in your day-to-day. So I even look at smaller spurts, especially for those that have not Um, ever been doing any exercise prior or very little, looking at doing, you know, spurts of 10 to 15 minutes here and there. So that may be, you know, a 10 or 15 minute walk. That may be a 10 or 15 minute, I like to call it a mindful break or, you know, some stretching or, um, you know, even using your own body weight for 10 or 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. That even may look like 10 or 15 minutes of some house chores. So vacuuming Mm -hmm. and, you know, cleaning, picking up. All of those things that can get those muscles contracting
0: will really help in keeping those blood sugars actually lowered. I think that that's a really good place for people to start if they haven't been active. But I would challenge women to doing the laundry and the vacuuming. That's a good place to start, but that's only a start. And if you got to take this seriously. We're talking exercise ladies. We mean it this time. So yes, please vacuum and pick up. That's good. Lugging laundry up the stairs is really, really good. But this is about making intentional time to take care of your body by letting it do what it's meant to do, which is move and exercise. And you do, yeah, we're all busy people and it's hard to find that time. Nobody finds time. We allot time. We assign time. We schedule time we make time. Correct. You got to do it. Yeah, Yeah,
1: you're exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like I said, uh, you know, starting out small and then really building up because this is this is you, your pregnancy and your baby. And that exercise, Yeah, yeah, I can't say enough about and healthy babies and that exercise for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. And healthy moms, you need those blood vessels that heart your lungs for the whole rest of your life. Right. Yeah, and what happens to mom's body during pregnancy is remarkable. It could stay with you forever. Yeah. 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 Let's talk about what women can eat. So yeah. what are the what are the foods that women should focus on? Yeah, definitely.
1: So You know, um, one of the top foods that I like to, um, make sure that we're getting enough of is definitely those proteins. Mm -hmm. So by, you know, your body's growing and your energy needs are, um, more significant baby's body's growing. There's so many good uh, amino acids, you know, I won't go into too much detail with that, but, um, protein, I can't say enough. And um, about, um, you know, a, a, another key um, ingredient, as I like to call it in, in pregnancy, is definitely making sure that you're getting enough healthy fats. I mean, you know, I think like you were saying, um, Jeannie, that around the 70s is when everything became low fat, no fat. And yeah, yeah um, that was silly. <laughs> and, we know, did it, and we're still doing it. Right. Right. Yes. Right. Right. And a lot of that, you know, um, when we're looking at healthy fats, I mean, we're looking at baby's brain development here. So these healthy fats, I just cannot say enough about, you know, coming from your nuts, your seeds, your olive oil, your coconut oil, you know. um, I really encourage um, to at least have, you know, a serving of a healthy fat with every meal and snack. Um, And then vegetables. I mean, we get so many of our nutrients, our vitamins, our minerals. And again, this is all helping not only keep mom's body energetic and giving enough nutrients for mom's body to carry this precious child, but also for baby's development. I mean, we're talking about this amazing miracle in our belly. Um, And without all of those good, um, you know, vegetables, non-starchy vegetables and It's, you know, I mean, baby's body doesn't have a lot of great capacity to
0: to go off of, to work off of. So what about after delivery? Can women go back to eating whatever they want?
1: So that is one really key that I like to focus on is that when we um, start working together and really outline what um, specifically those individualized goals are, is really focusing on this is a lifestyle change. So it's not just for today or tomorrow or well, babies in my belly, but this is forever long. Because I'm telling you what, those women that are getting enough protein and healthy fats and vegetables, they are feeling good. They're feeling like they can complete all these mommy tasks. And let Let me tell you, you know, I mean, while you're pregnant, don't get me wrong, you have your tired days, but when that baby comes, there is, you know, it it takes it to a whole other level. Yes, exactly. So I really like to focus on with each client, um, and again, very individualized, but, um, This is not just something that we're going to do today. This is looking at what can we withstand and what can we give our bodies and really the rest of our lives to make sure that we're, you know, doing, having the correct nutrition. And with that, you know, then that becomes our children also seeing that modeled for them. So it's kind of a trickle down effect for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah. yeah. Well, we are getting to the point where we need to wrap things up and I've got my my final three, what, what a recent guest called my fastball questions. Yeah. So you ready?
1: I am ready, Jeannie. Okay.
0: Okay. okay. Uh, new one that I've added recently, is feminism important to you?
1: Oh, that's a good question.
0: I know. And a hard one for fastball.
1: It is a hard one for a fastball. Um, It is. I mean, I am raising two daughters. So I think it would be hard for me to say no on that um, because I think – There is so much that as women that we are empowered to do. I mean, we're, you know, and again, I mean, for even myself, it would be hard to say no on that one because, you know, I'm a mom. I care a lot for the house. I'm a wife and I'm an entrepreneur. So there's a lot of women um, rights and women things that I want to make sure that my girls can understand. They are free to do what they want to do and be able to speak up about it for sure.
0: Okay. Good answer. How would you fill in the blank? Nobody ever told me that. Okay, never.
1: And just in general, you're not asking. Okay, anything, anything you specific. want. Free
0: range. Anything you want. Nobody ever told, <laughs> me that. told me that. Um
1: gosh, that's a good one. You know, it's kind of funny, and I may have to change that question a little bit because people did tell me that, you know, it would be a challenge to be a parent. Um, But there's also so many good parts. Um, But I, you know, I am not going to lie. No one ever told me how, you know, absolutely priceless and beautiful it would be to have your own children. And, you know, there was little things here and there, but no one ever just you know and i don't think you can really experience it until you experience it so we'll leave yeah. it at that
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good answer and it's true the little things that are just they're ridiculously delightful and it's because it's your child and you're experiencing the world through them it's wonderful right. yeah, yeah yeah so my last question for you then is this where are you in the world of motherhood Oh
1: my goodness. Yeah. Well, obviously hearing that I have a six and a, or almost six and an eight year old. Um. You know, I am finally at the point that my girls are doing a lot themselves. Um, They're also contributing a lot to our family, which is totally fabulous. So I will be honest with you, Jeannie. I am finally at the point of my life where I've had this lifelong goal of having my own business and really coming alongside women throughout their pregnancy and throughout gestational diabetes. And I feel like I am at a point where I can breathe a little more as a mom, That's even possible. Yeah. So yeah, I'm just really enjoying. Um, I just told my girls the other day, in fact, I wish I could kind of just stop time. Um, they still want to be with me and it's a lot of fun now. And they're, like I said, contributing a little more to the family, which is amazing. And we're kind of all working together to establish, um, our goals in life and our dreams. So it's, it's, it's an exciting time. Yeah.
0: Fun. Yeah. Well, Callie, you sound like you're living a good life. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's tell our listeners once again where they can find you. If you want more information about Callie Pearson, you will find her at? Yes, um, at aimtothrivenutrition.com. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining this conversation. It's been a fun one. We'll talk again down the road. Okay, thanks so much, Jeannie. Have a great day. You too. Mamas. Our guest today was Callie Pearson, and you can learn more about her at aimtothrivenutrition.org. You can learn more about me at jeanfaulkner.com. I'll spell my name for you. It's a hard one. J-E-A-N-N-E, Faulkner, F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R.com. Please check out the shop page on my website, and you can find all my books there. But um, especially, hoping you'll check out the new one, Mom's Side of the Story, uh, go find us also on Patreon and become one of our very first sponsors and then check us out on Instagram at Common Sense Pregnancy and we're over on Facebook too. Oh, and I'm on Twitter at jeanfaulkner.com. So email me your questions, jean at jeanfaulkner.com. And that's it for this week, everybody. Common Sense Pregnancy Parenting and Politics is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios. We'll talk again soon. Bye-bye.
1: Hey guys, we're Sarah and Matthew Bivens, hosts of the Doing It At Home podcast, a show dedicated to empowering stories and resources around home birth. Our mission is to normalize home birth and encourage mamas and families to be educated, supported, and empowered by their birth choices, whatever they are. You can find the podcast in Apple, Google, Stitcher, The Pod Network, and on our
0: website, diahpodcast.com.